Well, good morning or good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you are listening. Uh, We are taking a break from our series in 1 Corinthians to consider the message of the Bible and how it relates to race. Uh, In the midst of all of the heated and passionate debate with many people largely parroting the message of a particular political party or ideology, I want us to remember today that the, that the church has a unique message to proclaim. It is a message that will challenge every political ideology in one way or another, and it is the only message that actually supplies what it is that people are looking for, justice, uh, unity, an end to all of the strife. Here's a bird's eye view of where we're headed. Ethnic division, we understand from the Bible, is a result of the fall, the entrance of sin into the world. At the Tower of Babel, we see people coming together to make a name for themselves, God dividing their tongues so they can no longer communicate, and they are dispersed throughout the world. But in the very shadow of that event, God makes a grand promise. He gives a promise to Abraham to bless the nations through his seed. And as God works out that promise in history, Throughout the Old Testament, we have descriptions of the nations coming together around Mount Zion, forsaking their idols to worship the God of Israel. And then in the fullness of time, Jesus came. He lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, and on the third day rose again from the dead. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, the power on high. But before he did, he gave the church a mandate, a commission. Our mission as the church is to make disciples of the nations. The church is not just for Jews or any other one particular group. It is instead, it is the plan and purpose of God to bring together people from every tribe, tongue, and nation and unite them together in Jesus Christ. And we see the grand fulfillment of that in the Apostle John's vision of heavenly worship where a countless host from every tribe, tongue, and people worship the Father and the Lamb who was slain. And so today I want us to look at God's plan for ethnic unity and then think about what it means for us as a church. And we're going to look at several texts as we do so. But first, let's pray. Lord our God, with your word open before us, give us the grace of humility to receive with meekness the word implanted. Give us minds to understand, ears to hear, wills to obey, and may we hear Christ himself speaking to our hearts um, in his word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our first text is in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where the Lord gives this promise to Abraham I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then we turn to Matthew's Gospel, and the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the words of the Great Commission. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Then we turn to the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 7. We read in verses 9 and 10, John reporting on this vision. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Well, in the year 1908, the great Dutch Reformed theologian Herman Bavink traveled to the United States for the second time. And while he was here, he traveled around the country, meeting with pastors, theologians, even politicians. He uh, was even invited to the White House to meet with uh, Theodore Roosevelt. But as he traveled around uh, the USA, he began to realize that there was a deep problem. And after he returned home while in, in Rotterdam, he wrote down these words. He said, in regard to America, in the future... There truly lurks a danger, and in the future a struggle will doubtless be fought between black and white. This was in 1908. Not too long after that, in a public lecture, Herman Bavink argued that the only way, or the, the, the way of Christianity was the only way that future violence could be prevented. Here we are, more than 100 years later, and I hardly need to explain why addressing the subject of race is so important right now. We live in a society where the issue of race continues to divide, where tempers flare, and anger needs very little incentive to boil to the surface. The tragic murder of George Floyd by police officer Derek Chauvin has led to Renewed unrest across the nation. This week we've seen protests all over our country, which are surely unprecedented in terms of their scope and duration. And while other problems have become evident over this last week in our country, we're, we're seeing a renewed national debate on the issue of race, which tells us that however far we've come as a people, we, we still have a long, long way to go. And so people are looking for answers. What is the solution to this ongoing division and hostility that no matter what progress has indeed been made, uh, this problem still remains? What's the solution? Well, I want to suggest that the gospel is the answer, that the gospel is in fact the only real solution. Uh, what I want to do this morning is look at an overview of what God has done to bring about genuine ethic, ethnic unity among his people as a, a witness of the wisdom, the rightness, the power, and the glory of his redemption in and through Jesus Christ. Now before we, we think about that, let me just say a word about terminology. A lot of people today talk about racial reconciliation, and that's fine. In our own denomination, the PCA, we've I've uh, been talking uh, for the last few years about the need for racial reconciliation. But I want to use a different term. 
uh, a term that I've, I've been taught, and the term is redemptive ethnic unity. I want to use that term instead because I think it better gets to the point of what God has done. So when I say redemptive ethnic unity, what I mean is this. I mean the unity that God has called his people in Jesus Christ to experience and to enjoy across ethnic lines. And be sure, this isn't just a white and black thing. This applies to all people. Okay, let's, let's look then at God's plan revealed in the Bible for redemptive ethnic unity. And there are three headings, three things I want us to see. Redemptive ethnic unity promised, redemptive ethnic unity applied, and redemptive ethnic unity realized. So let's start with the first, redemptive ethnic unity promised. And go back again to the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. You know what happened. Humanity, as is our natural fallen desire, continued to rebel against God. And so even though he commanded us after the flood to once again multiply and spread throughout the earth, we said, nah, we don't want to do that. We want to build a monument to ourselves. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to show how great we really are. And so that's what we did. And it was met with God's judgment. And in God's judgment, there was the introduction of different languages so that we couldn't communicate. People were divided and dispersed. And it's out of that context then in Genesis 12... That we have God coming to Abraham and giving him this grand promise. Promise that is given right in the shadow of the Tower of Babel. And the promise entails what we are thinking about today. Redemptive ethnic unity among the people of God. But it's going to take us a little bit of work to trace that out. How this promise entails redemptive ethnic unity. God calls Abraham and gives him this promise in Genesis 12 verse 3. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that blessing, as it is uh, further developed and revealed in redemptive history, becomes evident that this blessing is salvation in Jesus Christ, full forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, new and eternal life through the perfect life, sacrificial death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what's striking about this promise is how it's then repeated to Abraham's son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, and then passed on from generation to generation. And so in the shadow of the rebellion at the Tower of Babel and the ensuing separation of the peoples, God gives this promise to Abraham, entailing blessing, salvation, and grace. And within this blessing... Is the, the, is the promise that through the promised seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, God is going to bring people who were separated together once again. And that's why throughout the Old Testament, we have these descriptions of the peoples, the nations of the earth coming together, forsaking their idols to worship the Lord at Mount Zion. Ethnic unity among God's people is promised and therefore is to be experienced and enjoyed by those who worship the Lord. So you can look at a passage like Micah chapter 4, which is also quoted in the book of Isaiah. This picture of the nations coming to the mountain of God, turning 
away from their idols and coming together to worship God and to serve him together. This is the outworking of the promise given to Abraham. And so when we think about the covenant made with Abraham, we need to understand the implications of that covenant. The family groups, the peoples of the world, the the, the families of the earth will be blessed and brought together around the promised seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And the nations will come together to worship the Lord. That's the covenant promise. So hold on to that vision because in a few moments we're going to see how it is fully and finally realized. But my friends, this is why, you know, especially right now, this is an important thing for us to work through. Because people are looking for an answer to the racial issues in our country right now. And we can say to people who are confused and angry and, and hurt, let me, let me try to show you what God is doing, what God has promised, and where we are going to end up in Jesus Christ. And so we have this grand promise which implies redemptive ethnic unity And that leads us then to the Great Commission where we see redemptive ethnic unity applied. We're familiar with the passage in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where the Lord of the church tells us to make disciples, not mere consumers, not mere spectators, but active followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, actively following him in wholehearted worship, following him in a life of fellowship, in the the life of the church, Actively following him in obedience and actively following him in, in bearing witness to the gospel. Now, just as an aside, we have learned these last couple of months, I hope, that discipleship cannot be restricted or reduced to online interaction. We can learn a great deal of, about things online, and it was a great blessing to be able to stay connected on Zoom. But discipleship is not merely a matter of information transfer, is it? No, it's, it's what some have called a life-on-life life call. It calls us to pour out our lives into others, to get to know them, to share life with them. I, I like how Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he explains that they not only wanted to share the gospel with them, but our very lives, because you had become so dear to us. That's part of discipleship. It is living with those with whom we are privileged to share the gospel. And so the practice of discipleship involves consistent, connected relationships. It's not reducible to superficial interactions or mere information transfer. Now, coming back here, one of the results of Christ's command to make disciples of the nations is redemptive ethnic unity in the church. And the first fruits of that were realized in the early church in the book of Acts. And they struggled with it, uh, just like we struggle with it today. In Acts chapter 6, the widows who had a Grecian background were being overlooked in the distribution of the food. Uh, They struggled with it when Peter was called to go to the Gentile, Cornelius. And he came back and the brothers said, hey, hey, what's going on here? Why did you go to a Gentile? We don't do that. And the Lord had to show them, no, now we do that. Because the gospel is for all people. And let's take it a step further. 
and say this tangible ethnic unity was in fact a core aspect of what God was doing through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you can turn to a passage like, well, start in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 and read on into Ephesians chapter 3. And you'll see that what God is doing is calling people together, Jew and Gentile, all people together to display his infinite wisdom. Because he is the only one who can make people who would normally be hostile, indifferent to, separated from one another, and form them together as one holy people who love and serve one another. And so we see in the unfolding of God's redemptive plan, ethnic unity promised, ethnic ethnic unity applied, and finally, ethnic unity realized. In Revelation chapter 7, we are given a glimpse of where we are headed as the people of God. We belong to a multi-ethnic worshiping community. And dear friends, this is the expressed, settled plan and purpose of the living God. And in Revelation chapter 7, John describes what it'll look like and what it'll be like. And basic to the vision is that we who should have been dealt with according to our own sin get to be presented to the holy God, the living God, in white robes with palm branches in our hands because we have a salvation that is secured by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He did everything needed to rescue us by his sinless life, his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection. And that is gloriously good news because on my best best day. I have fallen short. So of you, not one of us could have ever achieved the right standing we need to stand before the living and all holy God. Could have never happened. But Christ lived a perfectly obedient life. And then he went to the cross and on the cross he absorbed all of God's wrath against my sin and wickedness and rebellion. Jesus paid it all. He paid it in full. And then he rose again from the grave, proving that the Father accepted his sinless life and substitutionary death on our behalf. And he proved that the scene described in Revelation is in fact true. It's going to happen. And this is the glimpse of what it's going to be like. And John says there was a great multitude of people that no one could number. It was beyond his scope to count. And he noticed that they were of all languages, tribes, and nations. Think again of what happened at the Tower of Babel and what was promised to Abraham, blessing to the nations. And we see here the grand promise then of, that was given to Abraham coming to full fruition and culmination in the new heavens, in the new earth, in and through Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, through faith in Christ, this is where we are headed. But since it's where we are headed, it is something that the church is called to experience and enjoy right now, whenever possible. The church is to reflect this grand reality that God in Jesus Christ 
is bringing people together to worship and serve him. And this overview of what God is doing, I think it's just a wonderful way to walk people through a covenantal view of Scripture. Because the reason we're committed to these things is because of what God has promised, because of what God is doing, because where redeemed humanity is headed. And so the church's pursuit of ethnic unity, when it is grounded in theology, it is not driven by demographic changes in America. It is not motivated by a desire to appear culturally relevant. No, we are moved by the testimony of Scripture and the promises of God which tell us what He is doing. It is His expressed will to save people from all ethnic groups and to bring them together to form them into a holy, worshiping community. And it is all accomplished by and through the work of Jesus Christ. That's one of the great things we can confess right now. That we will spend eternity with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And you will, do, you will do so in great fellowship under the Lamb who was slain and ransomed. People from every tribe and language and people and nation. And there you'll experience uh, no pain, no danger, no strife, no division. And it is the only way humanity will ever have one of its main problems solved. The ongoing, continuing ethnic strife that has gone on and on and on ever since sin came into the world. Our only way out, our only real hope in this is the redemption God provides through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And right now, I think it's a great time to be talking about this. Because right now, if you ask people, hey, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to get out of this? How are things going to change? What are we going to do? I mean, really, what are we going to do? More virtue signaling? More corporate confessions? More laws and policies? Is that really going to get it done? No, I think more and more people are saying, I just, I don't see a way out of this. And we can say, let me show you how and where it is indeed changing. Let me open the Bible and tell you about what God is doing through Jesus Christ in the church. So this is God's plan to bring real ethnic unity in the church through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for us? Well, as I've been reflecting upon this, uh, I, 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 I asked myself several questions. And I want to share those questions with you in, in the hopes that you'll be asking them too. First, when considering the issues of race and ethnic unity... Are we more inclined to think politically and ideologically or theologically and redemptively? Another way we could put that is our thinking shaped more by Fox News or CNN than Scripture. Friends, if we treat this as merely an ideological issue, nothing is ever going to change. When people are entrenched in an ideology... What they will always say is, look, as soon as the other group changes, things will get better. But if we look at it theologically and redemptively, well, ask yourself, does Christ ever say to us, as soon as you work on that, change some things, then we'll talk? Or 
once you make some progress, then I'll come to you. No, no, you see, but if we think ideologically, we will always put the responsibility on others to change, waiting for them to do something before we move toward them. In contrast to that, thinking redemptively says, God has rescued and saved us through faith in Jesus Christ, and he's given us a call to perceive, not ideologically, but theologically and redemptively. And that perspective says, I look forward. I long to see God's plan realized in our midst to pursue unity with all kinds of people, even though it might be hard. It might be uncomfortable. But seeing God's wisdom displayed among us is worth it. And is God's purpose, another question, is God's purpose for ethnic unity in the church shaped, uh, shaping our ministry and outreach? Do we see it as a key part of the outworking of God's redemptive plan in the church, the bringing together people of different ethnicities? Or, or while we may be against segregation as a policy in society, are we content with it as a functional practice in the church? Look, if we know where we're headed in Christ, belonging to a innumerable host made up of every tribe, tongue, and people, shouldn't we want to see it even now in the church where possible? Do we see ethnic unity as part of our witness to the gospel in the world? And finally, are we willing to pursue ethnic unity and humility? It's easy to be a welcoming church when people are just like us, isn't it? But what about people who are very different than us? Can they find a place here among the family of God? I think so. But humility would move us to say, you know, we aren't a perfect church. We haven't gotten everything right. And for the sake of unity, there there might be some things for us to think about because what brings us together is not our cultural preferences, our socioeconomic status, our skin color, our music and worship, even our reformed tradition, but Jesus Christ who has come to save us all. So brothers and sisters, let's remember this today. We are part of the most grand and glorious plan in the history of the world. And it's not started or carried out or completed by mere humans. God has made a covenant that encompasses people from all over the world. And that shows us that this plan cannot fail. He will see to it. Revelation 7 is going to happen. So let's commit ourselves to God's plan for ethnic unity, which is founded upon the promise of Christ, who brings blessing to the nations, calls them to take on his yoke of discipleship, And he will one day gather us all into one great assembly where we will worship God and the Lamb forever.